0: This is Keywords, and I'm Zoe Cummins. Thanks for joining me for this second series. Over the next eight episodes, you'll hear work from more than 50 writers, musicians, producers and creatives. You're in the right place for short, self-recorded stories, poems, essays, music and sounds, all prompted by a weekly theme. This week, pieces by Louise Williams, Wafa Abushar, Adele Coffey, Enda Wiley, Fiona O'Connor, and Rory Gleason, all shaped by our body language. How what we say with facial expressions and gestures, however subtle, can be as important as any words spoken. Writer Louise Williams sits in a square in a small Italian town and watches people move about. <laughs> Watch people walking and talking. All the energy, all the projection. (laughs) (laughs) The language is
1: through their body. Your arms, your hands.
0: Shoulders, emphasizing points. And when they're on the phone, oh, but right.
2: walking and talking.
0: Shoulders are going. The hands are waving. What you say in your voice, what you say in your body, aren't separate. One of my favourite places to watch people is on public transport. There's a young person sitting a few seats away. She takes a selfie. She reviews it and retakes it. Reviews again and retakes. She reveals very little about herself as she snaps the picture. But as she reviews it, you can see that she isn't happy. Something about what she sees in her own face isn't how she wants to be seen. We can take and retake and pose and shape how others see us in a freeze frame. But on the go, it's more difficult. There's the man standing behind the big glass office window as the tram passes, who's definitely solving a problem. His face just has that look about it. And the woman at the station wrangling a child into a buggy, her gritted teeth saying, yes, you will. And the small person's arched back saying, no, no, I won't. Our expressions and gestures, our body language is there to be read. We're all open to interpretation. In our next piece, writer Adele Coffey gives absolutely everything away with her
3: facial expressions. I would love to have a poker face, a way of easily disguising what I was truly feeling or thinking. Instead, I suffer from an affliction called honest face. It's just as bad as it sounds. Like Jim Carrey in the film Liar Liar, I just can't hide my true feelings. No matter how hard I try, my face will always betray me by broadcasting my authentic emotions. It's one of the reasons I don't lie. I simply can't. You can Google tips and tricks, ways to try and overcome honest face. Find 11 steps, complete with pictures, on how to look entirely emotionless. But the instructions all seem to be about suppressing your emotions, your natural reactions, and even yourself, which I'm not so keen on. Honesty can be overrated in some situations, and I go to great lengths to try to avoid hurting anyone's feelings unnecessarily. But in unguarded situations, my face has a mind of its own. A boss once asked me during a heated conversation, why are you looking at me like that? Like what? I asked. Like you hate me, he said. I did hate him, but I couldn't tell him that. Turns out I didn't need to. Honest face, had struck again. Likewise, at a party one night, speaking to a person I'd just met but didn't much care for, I stayed talking to them politely for some time, thinking I was doing a great job of being friendly, neutral, diplomatic. Upon leaving the party, my friend said, You didn't like them very much, did you? Despite my best efforts to make my visage the Switzerland of facial expressions, it turns out I had been scowling, raising my eyebrows and frowning the whole time. I have a talent for expressing emotion via my face. It has wreaked havoc on my face. While friends the same age as me have smooth foreheads without any assistance from Botox, I have furrows and creases and grooves from years of exhaustive emoting. I've appeared on TV news bulletins as a visual shorthand to let viewers know what they should be feeling, my shocked reaction to events accidentally caught on camera. If I was an actor, I'd be a ham. In some ways, the COVID mask of recent times came as somewhat of a relief, a break from being so easily read all the time. I quickly realized, however, that without facial expressions, our responses to each other can become numb, bland, characterless no fun. But rapidly we adapted to reading eye language. I discovered this recently when I was in a supermarket, still wearing a COVID face mask. I saw a cute baby in a buggy and gave him my biggest smile. Before I realised he couldn't see my smile behind my mask, he responded in kind with a huge grin. Even though he couldn't see the actual smile, he was still able to tell from my eyes that I was smiling at him. It made me think that COVID babies will be amongst the most emotionally intelligent people the world has ever seen, able to tell from just one glance at a person's eyes what they are actually feeling. They will be able to read a world of emotion in the tiniest crinkle of an eye wrinkle. Or maybe it's just that our faces can lie, but our eyes never do. Having honest face isn't all bad though. It's simple and effective. It can be useful to issue urgent non-verbal instructions to husbands or children, it can also serve as a warning shot. In Dublin, we call this giving someone a filthier. And maybe it's not so bad to know where you stand with a person after all. And there is research to suggest that suppressing your feelings is bad for you, having a negative effect on well-being, anxiety and depression. I can see why. Hiding your feelings is mentally exhausting. Much easier to be at ease with your emotions. Even if I was able to exert more control over my facial expressions, I think most people can see through our carefully constructed neutral settings anyway. We humans are more intuitive than we give ourselves credit for. Besides, if a baby in a buggy can figure out what you're really feeling just by looking at your eyes, you're probably not fooling anyone anyway.
0: Writer Adele Coffey there on how we give so much of ourselves even when we say nothing. Wafa Abushar agrees. In this dual language piece, she lists in English and Arabic the micro-movements that become our most immediate common language.
4: Eyes don't lie. Eyes don't lie. Lughe al-jasad. Body language. Examples of body language. One. The head bending in the body language indicates shame and respect, and if it is accompanied by a smile or a laugh, ثانيا, indicates comfort. تاسعا, two. ثانيا, your walk reflects your personality when moving the shoulders and raising the head when walking all signs strength trust greatness and gravity three the language of the hands during the dialogue can indicate his Self confidence or indicate remorse. Eyes don't lie. <laughs> eyes, don't eyes don't lie. Don't eyes lie. Don't lie. Four. Grab one's eyes when speaking to him indicates with you not agreeing. Five. Eyes don't lie. It is one the most Important things depends on body language. Because it is difficult to control it voluntarily when the eyes meet directly. When the eyes, the eyes directly, direct eyes, don't lie. the don't lie. the eyes don't the eyes don't the eyes don't lie. eyes don't the eyes don't lie. don't eyes
1: don't don't
0: We're made for movement. When you conjure someone up you haven't seen in ages, it's their gestures, isn't it? How they gesticulate or tremble, throw their heads back in laughter or brush you away with a glance. Enda Wiley's poem narrows in on how desire looks when it takes over a body. It's written in the voice of Beatrice, Countess of Dia, a 12th century love poet, who yearns for a particular man. Her entire body asks to be seen.
1: What does my love know of my breasts in this light? How they've taken on the glow of a long summer? Or how my back has grown strong from climbing the hill to where he might be? If only he knew I wanted him here, sitting at the bench waiting for me seeing the soft furs and green before him, verdant as my need, what does he know? The buck moon rises like him in my nights, is unbearable to stare at fully. Does he know, if he were here, that I would turn from him, so unbearable is his beauty too? But that I could never resist, would turn back to him again. And though he is about his ways, reading books, humming, guessing the weather? Does he know that his silences, his eyes glazed over when I speak, his body like a cold wall in bed, does he know that none of this will stop me? In this light I glow from the long summer and I wait.
0: The language of intimacy doesn't change much through the centuries and your body Young or old in every season has something to say. But the body's language isn't something we have total control over. We can't fully master emotions or illness or really how we look. Perfection glares at us on billboards, through health brochures, magazines, makeup, clothing. Corporate advertising is very good at playing on our aspirations. Buy this product and you too can edge towards the best version of yourself. Writer Fiona O'Connor speculates on the lives of women on hair dye boxes in a supermarket. There's something about the facial expression of one hair model in particular that intrigues her. The woman steps off the packaging, complete with a personal history and rich backstory.
2: Hair is the thing, obviously, most notable, held in a queue with the shopping trolley, nothing else but to look at them. And they look back, smilingly, along the aisle. Hair models, little portraits on boxes. Glamour is their standard-bearer, goddess of a veneer covering them, so that it seems to be the exact same woman, over and over. But no, they're all different. Each shade of dye holds a new occupant framed on the box. Blonde, brunette, redhead, jet black. That's only the basics. Every tint shows a different woman, with her own number, some with a letter as well. Completely different, if you look closely. But also, each one is, in some sense, the very same. Advertising values Lighting, shiny finish, branding That's what covers them Sealing each into their place Like portraits on sarcophagi Erasing something as well But the noses are marvellous Perfectly fine nostrils Polite and cute Who could imagine such standard perfection across so many looking closer what else to read in this torturous line shuffling towards till is there faintly detectable now and again just a hint of humanity a flaw there tiniest kink at the bridge mini skew on the nub maybe but perhaps not Ranging across the faces, it's hard to be certain. Because of the veneer, the little lit fire of each smile. How many? Shelves and shelves full. And are they real? The smiles. Not big grins or anything. More subtle, playful. These are Mona Lisa composures. Wisps of cloud on the cusp of being something else. Like a secret. Allure, is it? As if they hold tiny gold keys to eternal pleasure. All except one. And it's in the eyes that it shows, of course it is. Ice blue eyes against nude medium shoulder length hair. J6. Perfect. But J6 is sad. In a fraction of a second, the capture. Click. Visible now and forever on the box. Frozen in the flame of her smile if anyone really looks. And who does? Where there's a loss? Because who wants to look at that? Double check across the shelves. yes. They all give the same banal assurance. Nothing to see here. Move on. Back to J6. And it is undeniable. Sadness. Deeply held. Exposed over her professional nose and teeth. The smile. What has J6 lost? And do I want to buy this instant of truth? Pick up a box. Taking her grief into my hands I want to respond Make a human gesture Even elephants do so after all Mourn And then I can see her As though she is me J6 Walking a rainy city street Entering a building One of those nondescript office blocks The same everywhere J6 taking the elevator to the 13th floor, taking a seat in a washed-out waiting room under fluorescent lights, reading the leaflets provided. Later, she exits onto the street again. It is dusk, and the rain has stopped. She looks for a cab, walks towards the junction registers on cctv elsewhere traffic is passing puddles catching reds and greens and ambers and electric blues she keeps walking it is there on the hair dye box if you look
0: In our final piece in this episode of Keywords, writer Rory Gleeson is about to become a father. As he watches his partner Fetty's body change through pregnancy, they imagine the movement and shape of the baby and the shape of their life to come.
5: There's a thing in there, a little yoke that's knocking about, barging with elbows and fists and knees and headbutts. Fetty groans... The day we found out she was pregnant we both rubbed her stomach and imagined it inflating like a tire. Since then the skin on her stomach has stretched and expanded. Every night sitting on the couch feet up she rolls her t-shirt up over her rib cage and massages creams from TK Maxx into the bump. The stretch marks she can do without, she says. She pats and rubs her belly like it's a friend ...rests her hands across it... massages it... ...wobbles it around... ...it kicked her a few months ago. Until then it was just some... ...thing... ...some little, awkward... ...hardly understandable life form... ...that we both worried would expire... ...before we ever got to see it. We started out first calling it... ...a tomato... ...then used websites to chart its size... ...using larger and larger vegetables... ...from a pea to an aubergine... As it grew, we used different images and metaphors for it. Cancer cells, popcorn, avocados. Then we imagined it as an engine taking oil. A patient on life support with tubes and all the rest. There was a phase where it seemed like an alien. A parasite. A life-sucking vermin draining its host. Then, happily, once we saw its arms and legs in a scan... We thought of it as a little passenger, some wee hitchhiker bumming a lift. The internet informed us that when Fetty goes swimming, the baby is basically operating her like a human submarine, which is fun to think about. A small naval captain pulling levers inside of her. Other times, Fetty's a kangaroo with a sealed pouch, a hen, someone smuggling a basketball under their shirt. Mostly, she wishes the bump was like a rucksack that I could take and strap to my own front, giving her a break. Then it kicked. We were out for a meal when suddenly she looked across at me, mouth hanging open. She grabbed my hand and pushed it to her stomach. The kicks were not the fluttering of a butterfly's wings, as the midwife suggested. The tomato was taking shots at my partner, like an angry teenager hacking someone's shins. Muay Thai is known as the fighting art of eight limbs. You crack an opponent with kicks from distance, punches from the mid-range, and when they get too close, hammer them with short knees and elbows. It's an elegant, violent art, and the child inside Fedi has now been in serious training for several months. I imagine it giving a deep bow before it plants one foot and lands a roundhouse kick into my lover's kidney. I think of it emerging in the labour ward slimy with vernix already wearing a little rope headband and a pair of shiny red shorts. We tell ourselves as the young Nak Moy practices their front kicks against her liver and Fetty groans that there's no going back. In two months' time, the life that we have known up to now will be changed fundamentally. Our relationship could have ended before this. We could have broken up, and as devastating as that would have been, there'd have been some recovery in the future. Some life the other side. No matter how difficult it got, we could always have just called it quits. After the baby comes there's no turning back no resets there'll be life with the baby with our child or some sort of life without and that life without is not one we can live easily there's no calling it quits just joy and terror and tiredness ahead and the possibility the fear of the life without those things the fear horrible and urgent of the child not surviving. And I wonder why we couldn't have left things alone. Why we couldn't have just stayed happy together. Why we felt we wanted this. If me and Fetty were selfish and stupid, trying for one bit more happiness when we already had everything we needed in each other. We've let ourselves in for a future of possible terrible life-ending pain. Feddy's stomach wobbles and jerks and moves then rearranges violently. Feddy's inflating. The surface of her stomach rolling, turning, bulging as the young thing grows and runs out of room. It tumbles and squirms like some fella trying to kick his way out of a sleeping bag. Soon, it should turn head down. But still, Fetty's inflating Inflating like Violet Beauregard who ate the forbidden gum in Willy Wonka's factory Sometimes I worry Fetty might float off and I'll be left hanging on to her dangling from her leg as we get higher and higher like an air balloon that lost its mooring The higher she gets the more dangerous to drop down Baba and Fetty and me floating off into her own space. No going back. The stomach turns, surface rippling. Fetty pushes my hand to the spot and we both sit quietly, feeling, waiting, fearing, hoping.
0: Thanks to all the writers in this episode. You can listen to Keywords online wherever you get your podcasts. And next week, it's all about small things. Keywords is produced by me, Zoe Cummins, and the series is supported by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland's Sound and Vision Scheme.